from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University, with more than 100 degree programs offered in four locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. Good evening from the Capitol Building in Charleston. I'm Suzanne Higgins. As our senior population grows, more of our elderly are living alone with disability and facing hunger. The cost of addressing these needs and the not addressing these needs is the focus of our discussion later in the program. But first, I'm joined by senior reporter Dave Mistich and reporter Emily Allen for updates on various action today. Welcome to the two of you. Emily, let's begin first in the um, House floor session today. Uh, attention to House Bill 2732, which would require an official declaration of war by Congress before West Virginia National Guardsmen would be deployed for active duty combat. We've heard this uh, bill before from last year. Tell us what happened today. Yeah, so an important thing to kind of note, and one thing we've been hearing a lot this session is about these bills that are triple reference to committees. Um, you know, they spend so much time waiting to get on an agenda or, you know, going back and forth that some of them don't make it to the floor for debate. So this morning, um, Delegate McGeehan, who is behind this bill, um, his bill is in a similar situation. This morning, he requested the House vote to discharge his bill from its first committee in Veteran Affairs to the next committee. We're about to hear a clip from him in a second, um, kind of about his request and why he supports his bill. There are 10 other states that have introduced it this month, and there uh, will likely be at least 10 more introduce it by the end of February. So it is a growing movement, and uh, it's, it's a decentralized movement to sort of put pressure on Washington to do their job. And the whole point of why the power of war was invested in the U.S. Congress was because the war is the most serious, serious operation or serious uh, enterprise that a government could engage in. And quite rightly so, the founders saw it fit to vest that, that power within the legislative branch so that it could be openly debated. So speaking of open debate, what he just kind of ended on, um, much of the conversation after this speech, before the vote, wasn't just about the actual bill, the National Guard Defense Act. It was about um, the situation this bill is in and other bills uh, where they're triple reference, they don't make it to the floor, they're never really, or they don't risk, or they risk not being debated, being talked about. So this next clip um, is from some of that debate. It's, uh, you're going to hear from Delegate Spanagol first, uh, who was kind of in support of having this bill be heard, and then Delegate Steele, um, who had his own opinions against that. And now 20 states are looking to pass this bill that the gentleman from the first introduced and originated here in the state of West Virginia. He gets no respect. It gets put in a minor committee. At a minimum, let's discharge and send it on to a major committee of the judiciary. He's worked hard on this. People around the country are looking at the gentleman from the first bill 
all of us have bills that don't make it on an agenda. The point is that all of us have issues that we're passionate about, that we wait for leadership to put on an agenda. This is not the place to push your own agenda. This is a body that deliberates. This is a body that has decided that those several bills of mine that were mentioned aren't getting on an agenda anytime soon, but I'm not out here making a statement and trying to discharge something onto the floor and make a scene. And I find it very disingenuous and very hypocritical. So this vote to discharge this bill, move it from one committee to its second, failed 50 to 50, very narrow. Um, kind of I, before that vote, Delegate McGeehan, who you heard from first way back when, uh, he, he talked a little bit about how the item had been on the committee agenda and it was removed due to the powers that be because the chair of the Veterans Committee, the first committee it's on, actually spoke in support of the bill. We did talk to Delegate Bibby, the chair afterward. He said that it was on the agenda. He had um, heard some concerns from the West Virginia National Guard that this bill might interfere with you know, the National Guard's funding of the West Virginia program, uh, but he does plan to reintroduce this bill on the committee agenda for the Veterans Affair Committee. Uh, next week, he also, Bibby, plans to introduce kind of his own resolution related to this. All right. Thank you, Emily. Dave, it's Homeschools Day today here at the Capitol. A sizable group of homeschoolers were here throughout the day. Uh, tell us about a related bill. Right. Well, I, I want to bring up the conversation that was happening in the House because last year, towards the end of the session, uh, you know, Delegate McGinn's uh, bill was, was discharged from committee today that failed, but also another bill that was discharged from committee in the House last year was uh, the Tim Tebow Act, which uh, sort of, of course, related to homeschooling. Uh, Tim Tebow, the professional athlete uh, who, who sort of led the charge in, in allowing homeschoolers and private schoolers to participate in public school sports, and that's the bill that's, that's been up in Senate education today. I should note that when we started the show this evening that they were still talking about this. Um, you know, some Democrats uh, called up um, Brian Dolan of the West Virginia SSAC, the Secondary Schools Activity Commission, and there, were, there was a lot of conversation earlier today about this idea of taking a portfolio that's ungraded from a homeschool student, and how do you get that to translate to a, to a, to a GPA that would allow them to be eligible for public, public school sports. So a lot of conversation, of course, Democrats uh, very opposed to this, uh, again, you know, with this with this ongoing in that Senate committee, uh, I would expect with the Republicans, you know, having control over here in the Senate that this bill will make its way out. Um, I believe that it's only reference to the Education Committee. So when it's out, it'll go to the Senate floor. OK, and we'll continue to follow it. Emily, over on the House side Education Committee today, they took up the West Virginia Student Religious Liberties Act. Tell us about that. Yeah, lots of house news today, or education news, mm -hmm. I should say. Um, they talked about it this morning. Basically, um, it's from Delegate Howell out of Mineral County. It's his proposal. His community's had some struggles with this. It sort of outlines, um, you know, religious liberties for students. In the First Amendment already, religious um, expression is already protected, but this bill has um, sort of like rules and provisions to make sure that students don't feel discriminated against or excluded from, like, non-graduation related speeches, graduation related speeches, after school activities. Um, obviously, it did come out of committee this morning. That's why we're talking about it. It passed 14 to 8 with a due pass recommendation. Um, there were some Democrats who were in the committee who were mostly opposed to it. We actually talked to one of them, Delegate Cody Thompson. He um, mentioned that some provisions in this bill that are trying to make it seem more inclusive 
um, actually might make it exclusive. And he talks about this in the next clip. Uh, but first, you're also going to hear from Delegate Higginbottom, a Republican who voted in favor of the bill on the committee. Something that we're trying to do is making sure that all religions are protected, whether they're a Muslim minority, whether they're a, uh, you know, a Catholic minority in a mostly Protestant state. We're trying to make sure that everyone's beliefs are respected. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, there has been some discrimination in the public school systems. Uh, and West Virginia is, you know, we're, we're not exactly known for being one of the more progressive states, and the intent of this bill was to not only protect Christians, but also protect religious minorities. I think this is opening up um, a can of worms that could possibly lead to some students uh, being subjectively discriminated against because of what's your religion is different than my religion, and my religion might be different than your religion, and what is offensive. There was some very vagueness in the words of what is vague and what could be, or, um, what could be offensive and what could be um, construed as that. And so that bill was advanced today. Dave, I wanted to get to you uh, updates uh, on a couple bills. First, the Born Alive bill. Right, so this was taken up in uh, Senate Judiciary this afternoon. Um, not a ton of conversation. They did do a strike and insert amendment uh, that would add one definition to the bill um, related to the Pain Capable Act that was passed a few years ago, which basically just defines what a fetus is. And there's just one line added to the bill, of course. Um, Democrats opposed to this as well. Uh, they say it, it does nothing. Um, the Senator Mike Romano of Harrison County questioned whether or not a doctor not giving uh, proper reasonable med medical care to a, to a fetus that would survive an unsuccessful abortion, whether or not that would be murder. Um, you know, so the, the same thing that we've sort of heard all along uh, from Democrats that, that this bill doesn't do anything, it accomplishes nothing. Uh, you know, of course, the vote in the House with only five Democrats voting uh, against the bill. Um, I think it'll be really interesting to see what, what Democrats take that route over here uh, in the Senate. So. Okay, and we only have one moment left. The Intermedi Intermediate Courts bill did advance today. That's right, yeah, and it made its way out of Senate finance uh, and now heads to the floor. Um, uh, again, a very partisan sort of issue. Um, we understand that this would cost roughly about $4 million. There's some questions as to whether or not that cost might be more than that with, with state agencies that have to pay with litigation. Uh, but to remind everyone that would create the two, three judge panels in a northern and a southern district and would uh, hear civil cases only, juvenile cases, child abuse and neglect would not be involved. Um, and of course, no criminal, criminal cases in an intermediate court of, court of appeals. So. Um, Again, another partisan issue that we're going to see a vote on very soon. All right. Thank you so much, Dave Mistich, Emily Allen. Thank you. Thank you. As we've noted, it's Homeschoolers Day at the Capitol. It's estimated 10,000 students are homeschooled in West Virginia. Randy Yoey reports visitors today say they want to end stigmas, change laws, and showcase student success. A talent show interspersed with calls for awareness and action had the homeschool rally crowd enjoying a day just for them. Upstairs, some homeschooler role-playing with the Supreme Court of Appeals justices that went from donning the judicial robe of impartiality to commandeering my microphone. Whenever you guys are in session, um, do you hear criminal cases one day and civil cases the next or both on the same day or how does that work? We generally hear a variety of cases on any given day. Wheeling 11th grader Ben Wade says his parents pulled him out of public school in the 7th grade. 
the academic rigor wasn't where they thought it should be, so that they pulled me out. Academics are a whole lot better in homeschooling because your parents know what you're capable of and because they're the ones that raised you. West Virginia is not one of the 24 states with the full Tim Tebow law, allowing homeschoolers free access to play sports at public schools. Here you have to enroll in public school, at least part-time, to play sports. These Tebow law advocates want sport access at grade six, free of requirements. The sky would not fall. What would happen is homeschoolers would be able to prove their academic achievements and they would be able to show the principals and the guidance counselors of the member school that they've met necessary requirements in order to just try out for a seat or walk into a program. But Eleanor 8th grader Jaden Naramore loves the Putnam County-based alternative, the Ignite Homeschool Sports League. Currently we have a volleyball team, a basketball team, and we have a running club, so you can do like cross, cross country or track racing. My middle school team, volleyball, went to the East Coast National Championship and we won. Christine Lindsay homeschools Christopher and her four other children. This mother says it's about freedom and choices. I wanted to be able to give my children an individualized education where they could really excel and pursue their own interests. Uh, Christopher, for instance, plays multiple musical instruments. The thing of it is, homeschoolers spend so much money. I couldn't tell you how many thousands and thousands of dollars I've spent on educational materials over the years. And plus, I still pay property taxes that supports the public schools, which that's fine. So they continue to blow the homeschool horn here at the Capitol, supporting their particular brand of education. I'm Randy Yoey for the Legislature Today. Tonight, the escalating problem of senior hunger and isolation in West Virginia. Our guest is William Carpenter, president of the West Virginia Directors of Senior and Community Services. Mr. Carpenter is also the director of the Senior Center in Lincoln County. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, you have testified before legislative committees uh, that West Virginia sen seniors, thousands and thousands, are struggling with hunger and isolation. Tell us about that. Well, uh, our, the members of our association, association provide meals throughout the state, and uh, during the last fiscal year, we provided 2.1 million dollar or 2.1 million meals of congregate and home delivered. And um, there are many thousands of seniors on the wait list. We cannot provide the meals because of funding and uh, just shortcomings with the money. All right, and we're going to get deeper into that. We have um, some numbers that you've provided us that help paint this picture for us. Um, we we uh, have numbers, and these are from the Meals on Wheels, uh, the National Association, and they've pared it down for West Virginia. We have 482,000, 27% of West Virginians are within that senior population. Um, seniors threatened by hunger, 85,000. Right. What does threatened by hunger mean? Because we, we've, we have different kind of levels and descriptions there. Those are seniors who may not have uh, food for every day, every meal. They may also be caring for a grandchild or another family member and they provide the meal for the grandchild and they don't have the meal for themselves. They may uh, be uh, seniors that come to uh, our facilities three days a week and can't make it four days a week because of doctor's appointments and, and so forth. So those are the ones that are on the, on the edge of going to 
they are definitely facing hunger and limited food access. 85,000. Right. Seniors at risk of hunger, that number is 44,000. Correct. And those seniors would be the ones who do not live close to a grocery store, uh, which in, in West Virginia, that segment of the population is growing. There's 122. We have significant regions of what we call food deserts. Right, there are 122 communities that live at least 20 miles from the closest grocery store. They may live close to a family dollar or a dollar general, but they can't get fresh produce, fresh foods from those types of uh, stores. So those are the ones that are on the edge. I mean, we have so many segments of the senior population that could easily fall into the um, facing hunger and, and uh, reduced meals. And then you have a category, seniors facing hunger. Mm -hmm and that's a number of 16,000. Right, and most of those are, are seniors that live alone. Uh, they live in isolated areas, and they're faced by uh, reduced access to meals because we've had, as providers, had to reduce our service uh, delivery days because of funding and, and things of that nature. So 3% of the population faces hunger on a daily basis. And, and there are other factors that make this population even more vulnerable. 39% um, of our seniors are, are living with a disability. Correct. And, and thousands live in poverty. Right. And, and many more are facing an, a new uh, obstacle. They are caring for grandchildren uh, as a result of the opioid crisis. And this is a, a, something that many seniors have not had to face but more of the population is facing that. I, I think I read or, or heard the other day that Logan County um, did a survey and over 70% of the children at Logan County High School do not live with their bio biological parent. They're living with another family member and in many cases it's a senior, it's a grandparent. And, and we know in, in related legislation there is, there is a, um, a proposal to to increase those um, per diems to help out grandparents who right. are raising children. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the obligations of the senior centers. You are mandated under the, the National um, Older Americans Act Correct. to uh, serve meals. Now, are you mandated for both the congregate meals, which are what are served in your facilities, and the delivery meals? What are you mandated to do? We are mandated to provide both, the congregate setting and the home delivered. Uh, each county is uh, awarded uh, a grant, and it is based on population, uh, currently not need. The commission is uh, looking at that as far as uh, redoing the, uh, the, the award uh, formula. But we are required. Can, can you, can you um, describe that a little, or yeah, describe that a little bit further? It's based on population and not need. Correct. Uh, the main segment or the the main force behind the funding formula for the Older Americans Act is based on population. So you have the more populous areas in the state; they receive more of the money, whereas they also have more uh, access to other agencies who can help the need as opposed to rural communities such as Lincoln County or others, you know, we're really the only game in town as far as senior meals. Uh, some of the clinics do provide uh, meals, but you know, our funding is limited, but our need is great. And, and you have broken it down that uh, the state provides so much per meal 
and you, but the meal actually costs this. So break down those numbers for us. Well, currently we are reimbursed $6.30 for a congregate meal and $6.75 for a home delivered meal. And according to the Meals on Wheels Association, the average cost to deliver a meal, a home delivered meal is $8.84. So, you know, we're $2 behind the curve as far as costs go. Uh, so that's why we've been to the legislature asking for additional money to increase those reimbursement rates so we can strengthen the program and hit the people that are on these uh, tiers so they don't fall down to, into the facing uh, hunger. When was the last time you received uh, a, a raise in that appropriation? Well, prior to last year, it had been 2010. Wow. We received a dollar five last year, and prior to that, it was 2010. And you know, we're like any other business. Our food costs, our utility costs, our maintenance costs have have risen since 2010. And uh, the governor awarded uh, some money last year, and it, it resulted in a dollar five increase. But it's still not where we need to be. So, one one might think that this could potentially be a crisis stage for some of the for some of the counties. It is. Um, many of the counties, uh, I started um, in the senior agency um, program 24 years ago, and back then the norm was five days a week, centers were open, five days a week home delivered. Now many seniors, uh, centers have reduced their number of days to three or four, and the home delivered, they still get five meals. However, instead of five hot, fresh prepared meals, uh, many counties have supplemented with shelf-stable meals. So they still get five meals, but they're not the same as it, as it had been. And what does the governor's budget propose? The governor, um, as far as we know, the dollar five increase will, is remaining in there. And after that, we don't know. There's, there's some so it's talk flat of, for this coming year? Right. It's and, flat. And uh, uh, there's uh, some talk of some money for uh, hot cold trucks. Uh, the governor also uh, awarded a million dollars last year, which was going to help fund for 43 hot coal trucks, which we hadn't had a hot coal truck uh, replacement since 2009. Also. Those are essential. Right, uh, because you can deliver 250 meals on a hot coal truck, whereas with the smaller vehicles, you just can't hit the number of people. But, uh, you know, we don't know. Uh, we, we, we've heard that the $1.5 is maintained and there's some money for additional hot coal trucks, but we feel that that money is, would be better spent uh, providing additional meals at a higher rate so we can strengthen our provider network. Um, uh, now, you've talked about, um, you know, obviously this is the, the moral thing to do, is, is, is to, to feed our, our hungry and make sure that uh, they get those nutritious meals, but you've pointed out there's an impact, uh, if we don't, um, on our health care system and on our economy at large? Well, uh, the average cost for a hospital stay is almost $2,000 a day, and the average cost for a nursing home is close to $340 a day. You know, if we can keep a senior in their home for an extended period of time where they don't have to utilize those sorts of f facilities, number one, it saves the state money. Number two, the state has a moratorium on nursing homes, so and it also takes a huge burden off the family members because if we can provide a hot meal every day, someone sees that, that family member on a regular basis, they can check on them, and you know, it just gives the family just a little bit of ease, and they can continue to work. You've talked to lawmakers. Um, what is your sense as to 
maybe they will um, give some additional funding. Uh, we've talked to them, we've told them our needs, and uh, we still have a few more days to, to get some information into the, the budget and supplementals. And, uh, you know, we're, we're very hopeful. We have a lot of support, but we're looking for, you know, eight or ten champions to come and, and actually put that money in the budget and tell the seniors that they, they truly care. It's also West Virginia Alzheimer's Association Awareness Day here at the Capitol. And I know with the, the myriad of um, services that seniors, uh, senior centers provide, um, there are two Alzheimer's related programs. Tell us, we only have a couple minutes left, but tell us what those um, services are and how needed they are. Well, uh, anyone that has faced uh, a family member with dementia or Alzheimer's understands how needed those services are. Last year, last fiscal year, our agencies provided 330 hours of service, respite services for family members, uh, just so they can take a break. And you would be amazed what a few hours every other day uh, would, would do for that family member. Oftentimes, if, if they don't get that break, that family member becomes a client of ours, someone we care for because And they you've just, seen that happen. Yes. It, it, I mean, Alzheimer's and dementia is just one of those uh, afflictions that you just, it's just difficult. I've been around for 24 years and I have caregivers that have worked for me for almost 30 and they care for the seniors and they see the seniors develop these symptoms and you know, it, it's just very difficult. And that's one of the things we've talked about with um, the governor's office and the lawmakers about the increase in the reimbursement for that, that program because it's not been increased since 2006 and the continuity of service is great, it's is needed for the family members. 14 because, years. Right. So. Mr. William Carpenter, we're going to need to, to leave it there. Mr. Carpenter, President of the West Virginia Association of Senior Community Centers, thank you so much for coming and, and sharing all of these issues with us. We'll be following these issues throughout the session. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Tomorrow on the Legislature Today, we'll discuss the changing nature of work of first responders on the front line of the drug crisis. We'll review related legislation and also have updates on other news here at the Capitol. I'm Suzanne Higgins. For everyone here at West Virginia Public Broadcasting, thanks for joining us. Have a great evening.